hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Wow, I'm so excited, everybody. I have a new personal theme song. She's been working on it for months. Giera, recording artist. Many of you have heard her. She's dynamic. She's got a terrific voice. I want everybody to give me their feedback on this really neat piece she put together. It's called Battle Cry. Let's listen to it.
So I really want to get your feedback on that. I think it's really neat. Jira did a great job on it, uh, so I'm very pumped up. It's on my pinned tweet on my Twitter feed. Make sure you follow me, P underscore McCullough MD on Twitter. I got the top doctor Twitter account of any doctor that sees patients and is publishing at the level of I am. I'm number one on Twitter. Make sure you follow me. Of course, you follow me on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Now, a new feature that you'll see is I'm doing some combined interviews now. They'll start to come out. Courageous Discourse, my Substack and America Out Loud Talk Radio. So you'll have two chances to catch some of this riveting material as it comes in. America Out Loud Talk Radio comes out once a week, as all of you know, as a, uh, a column, which is the weekend edition, a Saturday and Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern, and then the podcast edition, which comes out on Tuesday of the following week, and it's on the Apple iHeart Network. So I listen to America Out Loud when I'm in the car, and I use the cell phone app, and I want to catch the kind of key programs. There's about two dozen programs on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's one of the few unassailable platforms that cannot be broken or influenced by censorship at this point in time. All of you have seen uh, everything from Joe Rogan attempted to be censored, Tucker Carlson taken off the air, prominent figure after prominent figure, but uh, Malcolm uh, Out Loud, myself, and all the all the key uh, leaders at America Out Loud Talk Radio are going to bring you uncensored, high-quality content. I'm going to dedicate the rest of the program now to a really interesting topic, and that is acupuncture and some of the Asian techniques for medicine. Uh, I have a real, real expert here. He's basically the U.S., certifier for practitioners in this area in the United States. His name is Lloyd Wright. He's in um, Arizona, and I sat down with him. We have a long format interview. I've learned so much about it. It's broadening my horizons as a practicing doctor, and it'll help you if you're a healthcare professional, if you're a patient, or just someone generally interested into some alternatives other than big pharma and the big medical industrial complex approaches to both health and disease. So uh, I hope you enjoy this uh, episode of the McCullough Report, and we'll jump right into it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. One of the biggest advances in nutraceuticals and supplements is healthy cell. And the healthy cell line is extensive. I typically focus on the microgel technology. Three major products here, Immune Super Boost, the Focus and Recall, and then the REM Sleep Supplement. Each one of these is complementary and they can uh, have a role, I think, in the health of your life each and every day. I know they do in my case. Many of you know, after COVID-19 twice, I spent almost the entire year in 2022 with the upper respiratory tract illness. Now, thankfully, and I've been diligent with the immune super boost in the morning, followed by focus and energy, and then in the evening time, the REM sleep supplement. The microgel technology works, and boy, does it work fast. So go to our website, America Out Loud Talk Radio, find the banner bar for Healthy Cell, click on it, and that'll take you to the site to get a discount on your purchase of all healthy cell products. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. 
Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to have on the program for the first time Dr. Lloyd Wright, and we're going to learn about traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, and a whole new area of, of therapeutics and improving health and wellness that we haven't covered on the McCullough Report. As uh, as many of you know, I'm an allopathic physician. I'm a traditional MD physician, and I had a chance to meet Dr. Wright and learn from him. And so I, I took this opportunity to invite him on the show. Dr. Wright, welcome to the McCullough Report. Thank you, Dr. McCullough. And let me just say what an honor it is to, to be on here with you and to be able to discuss uh, you know how we can best integrate these different types of medicine. It's uh, such an interesting a- area for me. Well, and- that's, yeah, that, I mean that's absolutely fantastic. So, why don't you take it away with your training and background, and then the field as it exists today? You know, maybe some comments about America, but also worldwide. Uh, just kind of give us an opener here. Get, kind of whet our appetites for this. Okay, sure thing. So I I started my journey into studying traditional Chinese medicine over 37 years ago, actually more like 39 years ago. And I I basically was uh, attending San Francisco State University, working on my bachelor's degree. And interestingly, they were offering coursework in this. And I I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Let's see what let's see what they're doing coming out of China, because we all know that Chinese medicine has been practiced for over 2,000 years, and it's still around. So I thought there probably is some value there. So I took a look at it. Uh, I took the course. One thing led to another, and the instructor, the professor who was teaching the course, basically cured me of my allergies in 10 weeks. Well, that caught my attention because my allergies were in the process of getting worse, not getting better. Uh, one thing led to another, and acupuncture schools began to open up uh, around that time, first in California and New England. Uh, and so I uh, uh, decided to go ahead and get educated about it. I graduated from acupuncture college in 1985 and uh, started my started my journey. And it's been an ongoing journey of continual study uh, because Traditional Chinese medicine is a very deep subject. It is not just a matter of acupuncture. It is not just a matter of, of you know, finding one herb that fixes one thing. There is an entire theoretical paradigm, a different way of looking at the human body. And I'm, I'm hoping to share a little bit of that because some of that is very, very practical and obvious. And uh, so... What's happened over the years with acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine in America is gradually schools have sprung up across the country. There are now approximately 60 schools that are accredited with the National Accrediting Agency. And some of them are actually regionally accredited uh, with WASC, just like uh, uh, all any regular college 
uh, would be. And so it has progressed tremendously over the past 30 years and gradually gained acceptance. There are now acupuncture departments in uh, San Francisco's uh, uh, State Medical Center, uh, uh, Mayo Clinic, uh, Kaiser Hospital. All, all of these are now employing uh, acupuncture and you know, gradually the uh, herbal component of this medicine is uh, started to gain recognition as well. Uh, so, uh, so that's uh, that's been the brief snapshot of how I got into this and and well, t- where t- it's at right now. Tell us about your educational steps, Lloyd. Okay, so first, at that time when I went to school, it was a certificate process. It was a we we went through a, a three year program, and and, through, and I went to the American College of Traditional Chinese Medicine in San Francisco, and it, uh, we went. Th- basically three academic years, and they crammed us through in about two years. Uh, once I graduated, then I had to pass a national exam, and I passed the state, the California state licensing exam. Uh, and I continued to study after that. Uh, shortly after that, I uh, uh, was privileged to get a uh, relationship, of a teacher-student type relationship with one of the older senior practitioners, uh, uh, Dr. Lam Kong, uh, who practiced in San Francisco and Oakland. And so I did a lot of extensive study. I would, I would almost two or three times a month, I would bring my, my difficult cases up uh, and have him analyze those cases. And I would learn from him. Uh, and I highly recommend mentorship uh, as a, as a part of, of any training for certainly traditional Chinese medicine and, I think in the Western medicine, you guys get that through your internship and your residency. It's kind of built in institutionally, but in in my world, you have to kind of seek it out a little bit. Uh, through the nineties, I, I, I then got my diplomat with the National Board of Acupuncture Orthopedics. I became a qualified medical evaluator for the California Workers' Comp System. I served on various boards, including the uh, California Licensing Board. Uh, and have participated in a variety of professional associations uh, in various capacities, both in California as well as nationally. And here in Arizona, I am uh, currently the uh, president of Asian Medicine Acupuncturist of Arizona, which is our professional association here in Arizona. So I've been involved in a a, a high degree of organizing. I've also been the academic dean of uh, two different acupuncture schools at different times. Uh, So I have a huge variety of experience ranging from the clinical to the administrative to the legal, the scope of practice, uh, you know, quite a, quite a range of experience uh, in, in all of these areas. So we may have actually, we may have the, um, uh, you know, the most experienced person right now on the planet. You could be in terms of certainly the United States, uh, in terms of the, you know, well, certainly the regulatory aspects of it, since you've had such a tremendous um, experience on the various boards. How many years have you been practicing yourself? Um, 37 years, going on 38 years next month. Oh, very good. And and how many patients would you see in an average day when you're in the office? Well, a slow day might be 10. A really rapid day would be 24. I kind of top out around 20, 24. Okay, that's quite a few. And do you have a big staff in the office? Uh, no, actually, my staff uh, is is actually my wife, 
Uh, and she runs the front office and does an amazing job and kind of keeps me on track. And, uh, 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 you know, that, uh, that actually works, uh, works quite well together. Uh, okay. Okay. Very good. And can you just, um, lay out some of the basics of, uh, the kind of the divisions within the field? Maybe maybe we could start with acupuncture. Okay, so uh, in the beginning, uh, the East Coast in America tended to be strictly acupuncturist, and the West Coast tended to blend the medicines. Uh, and we basically, those of us on the West Coast, learned both acupuncture and the traditional herbs. At this point, probably almost all the schools across the country teach both components very uh, very intensively uh people some people do tend to gravitate towards specializing in one or the other uh but there's a lot of us who do practice both components of that medicine uh the current uh requirement for education is a four years master's degree program but around 2000 the uh, development of doctoral programs came into came into play uh, because obviously with 2000 years of experience there's just uh, so much information to understand it, it and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper there was uh, a lot of validity for the development of the doctoral program and now most people are going through getting their master's and they're and they're just proceeding to go uh, get a doctorate. But the licensure requirement across the country is pretty much a master's degree program. Okay. And does that master's program, when people go through the training, it must have hands-on experience? Oh, 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 yes, of course, of course. There's quite a bit of didactic. There's a minimum of 800 hours of clinical training, observed clinical training, supervised uh, clinical training. Uh, uh, you know, and then the doctor would would add even more on that, of course. Uh, so yes, there's good, yeah. And is there a required number of uh, acupuncture procedures that need to be done? I don't think it's really broken down into acupuncture procedures. You just people just see a huge variety of cases as as as, as much as we can. The and I'll say, you know, one of the things that's different in acupuncture training here in the United States versus someplace like China. Uh, in, in China, you would see an acupuncture department in a typical hospital, and it, there would be a huge variety of cases that would be seen, serious, sometimes very serious cases, life-threatening cases would be getting acupuncture alongside of whatever Western medicine they felt was necessary. And you don't see that so much in this country because most people going to an acupuncture clinic are not that serious they're already in the hospital uh so that depth of training is is, is uh is not quite there when when people train here in the united states but uh, you know for your your you know common ailments everything from your allergies to your common sprained ankles you'll see a lot of that uh going through the training for sure uh, and there's different techniques of acupuncture. There's different styles. Most people don't realize there are probably a, over a hundred different styles of acupuncture. And everybody goes, well, which one's which one works the best? And my answer is, is they all work. But the, it depends on how how well the practitioner has adopted to that particular style. And the styles are kind of divergent according to 
uh, the culture. So like the China, there were different theories that developed. And then when it moved to Japan, it developed a little bit differently. And when it moved to Korea, it developed a little bit differently. In the 1600s, the Jesuit priests took it back to France. Uh, and so that was the beginning of European practice of, of acupuncture, which actually in France came, uh, you know, uh, even further along uh, when a Dr. Norger developed the ear acupuncture system, which was lost in China for, for many years and basically was brought back to life you know, through the, uh, uh, you know, the French assessment of it. And so the English have developed a little bit of different stuff. So everywhere it goes, it changes a little bit. And I think here in the United States, there's a lot of people that are, that are trying to look at this, redefine the effect of the acupuncture in more physiological basis, more neurological basis, rather than symbolic. So everywhere it goes, it changes a bit. So it changes according to culture. And do you think that the success also varies from practitioner to practitioner? Well, I think it does, uh, simply because it's, you know, uh, the more training and the more education each practitioner gets, the more they devote themselves to, to learning the art and science of it, the, the better practitioner they become. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, uh, a beginning practitioner is going to have success with certain things, uh, and then they're going to get stumped on certain things. The more complicated the case is, the, the more likely they'll, they'll, they'll get a little stuck on stuff. And, uh, and that's why we all do continual training. I mean, everybody does continuing education. I think all the medical professionals do that, and acupuncture is no different. And it's an endless it's endless learning. I mean, there's just, you just keep learning, you know, you keep peeling back the, uh, the onion layer, so as to speak. And, and, and each year you learn something a little different, a little, little deeper, and you, you get more skilled each year, year by year. But what, what's the leading journal for acupuncture that, that uh, practitioners read in the United States? Well, there's a couple. There's a journal of Chinese medicine. Uh, there's a journal published by the medical acupuncturist called Medical Acupuncture. These are all medical doctors who have taken up acupuncture as a full-time practice. Uh, and uh, I, I think those are probably the two leading ones, journal, journal of Chinese medicine and the med medical acupuncture. And uh, just give me an idea in your practice. I assume it's an office-based practice. Yes. Um, give me an idea in your practice uh, what are the top three conditions that people come in either referred for or seeking uh, and, uh, acupuncture? I would say the number one thing that people come to me for is uh, some form of orthopedic pain. Uh, and I mentioned earlier, I, I'm board certified in acupuncture orthopedics, so I see for comp cases, personal injury cases, or just regular cases, people have you know injured their 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 neck, their back, their shoulder. Or their knee and so so i do treat a lot of it in, in that area but also because i myself had such great results with allergies that's probably the second thing that i see a lot of is allergies and the third thing i uh, along along with that respiratory areas I, I also treat a lot of flus and colds and i've treated flus and colds since the get-go chiefly because i would catch everything that comes into town myself so i learned to get really good at it uh and, and other areas that respond really well, we see a fair amount of women's health issues um, and digestive disorders. Uh, those are probably the top three or four things that I that I see. And on average, an average patient for you, how many sessions of acupuncture would they have for their ailment? I know there's quite a range, but just give me an average. 
Sure. So, you know, if we divide this into acute versus chronic things, because I'll have some patients come in that are very, very chronic. Uh, you get chronic fatigue patients or, you know, they, they've had stuff for 10 years. You know, the treatment might go on for, you know, six months or 12 months or two years. It depends on how bad they are. But uh, and and if they're not getting results, we don't we don't carry on like that. The only reason you continue that length of treatment is because they're slowly getting results. But more acute conditions, if you take your common back strain or sprain, that might only be two or three treatments. Uh, you may find, uh, 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 but if somebody's if somebody has a, like a shoulder strain, if a, if the rotator cuff is strained but not really torn enough to warrant a surgery, you know, uh, that, that might be somewhere between eight to twenty treatments. Again, it depends on how bad it is. Uh, you know, but I find, um, you know, it's uh, it, it it really depends on on what the level of damage is. And my rule of thumb for orthopedic issues is if it's very mechanical, that's where acupuncture starts to have its shortcoming. In other words, if somebody has a disc that's protruding and is mechanically pushing up on the nerve, I'm not going to get a very good result with that. I might get temporary pain relief. Or I might treat that until I can get them through until they get their surgery to get it corrected. That, but that's probably a surgical condition. But somebody's got a mysterious back pain that they, nobody knows quite what it is, but it's been bugging them for several months. It's in the chronic category. It may turn out that they've just got some chronic inflammation that won't let go. Some of those cases will, will resolve in you know three to five treatments uh, because there's not really a mechanical thing there. It's just a feedback loop that has occurred. Uh, kind of a pain, a vicious cycle of pain feedback loop. And so acupuncture is really good at reducing inflammation, relaxing muscles, breaking up the pain feedback loop. Uh, and uh, so those those kind of conditions are going to respond much, much better to acupuncture. So you try to sort out, I guess, on your initial evaluation, how much of it is tr- kind of truly mechanical, mm-hmm. how much of it is neuropathic. Yep, reflexes and the neuropathic is um, is where you really think the you know the the benefit is greater. I'm surprised you didn't mention migraine headaches. Do you see much in the way of migraine headaches? I I I, I do I do. Uh, and and you know I'll tell you it's a funny thing. I didn't see many migraine headaches when I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. When I moved down to here to Arizona, all of a sudden I started seeing a lot more migraine headaches. Now, I can't, don't ask me to offer an explanation of that. That's just an observation. But yeah, once I started coming to Arizona, I did wind up treating a lot more migraine headaches. We generally get very good results with it. But as with anything, nothing's 100%. Uh, I, I would say about 60% of the time we get very good result with it. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit better than that. Uh, but yes, we do. Well, Lloyd, what's the condition that you think acupuncture has the highest success rate? People come in, and they go through sessions of acupuncture, and you just think the success rate is the highest. Uh, non-mechanical orthopedic uh, uh, injuries uh, is probably the highest one. And right after that, I would say respiratory stuff like allergies or, 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 or viral infections, flus, colds. Okay. Flus and colds will respond really well, but we're going to be talking about that in more detail shortly. So. Right. And then what about the least responsive? So if a patient came to you, you may tell them, listen, we, we won't even try. It's just not going to work. What, what do you think? Parkinson's. Okay. 
you know, MS, uh, you know, those are, those are pretty, pretty big showstoppers. And in, in my opinion, I mean, it's like, uh, sometimes I can help them relieve the symptoms, but uh, those are just really tough. Uh, mental illness. I put myself through school working in hospitals, working in mental health, uh, by the way. So I'm very familiar with, with mental health. Uh, but that, that's a tough department in any medicine, in my opinion. And it's particularly some Hispanic depressive, schizophrenic. It's like that's uh, those are those are real tough ones. Now, mild anxiety, depression, that's a different story. But, you know, the real serious mental, mental illness area is very tough. Now, let's flip over to uh, ancient Chinese medicine, non-acupuncture. But what are some of the general principles of, of Chinese medicine? Well, Chinese medicine, over 2,500 years ago, the, the, the first documentation of, of Chinese medical theory was, was a conversation between the Yellow Emperor and his physician. And the Yellow Emperor was the fellow who united China. And I, from what I understand, he was pretty brutal about, about it. But he's the first one that really united all of China. And so the, the physician lays out the whole ball of wax. And basically, you start with this theory of yin and yang, which is a philosophical concept that the entire universe is made up of polar opposite forces. Uh, in chemistry, we know all about positive and negative electrons. So the concept of yin and yang is really not that foreign to us. Um, but then they break down the medicine and they categorize everything relating to 12 major organs. And so the 12 organs are all paired off by yin-yang pairs, and they're further categorized into five categories. And basically, all the illnesses, symptoms, disease, pain, discomfort, we would relate back to a dysfunction of one or more of these organs, uh, except for external traumas, of course, then that's going to be a little bit, little bit different. And they theorize that each organ had a, a line or a channel that comes out to the surface of the body, and that's where most of the acupuncture points are actually located. But when we look at it neurologically, we, we see that these channels are not exactly on nerve roots, but they are close to nerve roots, and the major acupuncture points that are used are at the juncture of the branching of the nerves, which is itself very very interesting um so we start with that as a concept uh it's the management of the health of the internal organ system uh and from from there it you know we they, we take a look at environment how does the environment affect you uh immunologically we look at the, the internal strength of the immune system versus the external strength of the you know uh, of the environment if you take someone and they don't have good clothing and you put them in the North Pole, uh, they're going to either freeze to death or they're going to they're, they're going to have other bad things begin to happen to the body. So it's 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 always a it's always a balancing point between between those. And that's a recognized concept in all throughout Chinese medicine. It says, you know, what's going on, not just internally, but what's going on externally. Uh, so, for instance, uh, uh so one of the things I always like to educate my patients about is, you know, the difference between hot factors and cold factors in your common life. If somebody, and if you think about it, you we all know people who run cold all the time. You're there, 
in the middle of summer, it's 95 degrees out and they got a sweater on. And conversely, there are people who are constantly in shorts in the middle of winter, it's 30 degrees out and they are just like regular little heaters. So you have, and then you have the rest of us that run somewhere in between. Well, if somebody is, is excessively hot, if they tend to run too hot, we want to guide them to a diet that is going to cool them off. And it turns out that all foods are either warming or cooling or somewhere in between. So by understanding that the food you choose can actually cool you off or not cool you off or warm you up, immediately you start making better food choices, not based on cholesterol or fat content or uh, sugar content, but based on this, how does that how, does that food fit what your need is at that time? So you have hot versus cold. Uh, another parameter I like to educate my patients is damp versus dry. So a couple examples of warming foods might be ginger uh, as a herb or a spice. You immediately know that's a warming food. You put your tongue on it, your tongue burns, and you take a, a ginger tea, your system warms up. Cooling foods might be a case of like cucumber or watermelon, very, very cooling, very refreshing. Same thing with damp or dry. There are some foods that are going to dry us out. So spices will tend to be more dry. Coffee tends to be more dry. And there's going to be one, some that, that create more damp and more moisture. And uh, so dampness, uh, like watermelon, again, watermelon, mangoes, uh, more on the fruit end of things, you're going to see more, more uh, ability to moisten the body. And I remember when you were out here in Arizona at the uh, at the hearing, you mentioned dryness as a factor of COVID, and I practically wanted to jump out of my seat and raise my hand and say yes, yes. <laughs> and there are natural things we use to moisten that 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 uh, that that dryness, uh, you know. So uh, so these are some of the parameters I I like to share with my patients and and, and educate them and. Uh, when it's 110 outside, that may not be the best time to have chili peppers uh, because you'll tend to just throw a little fuel on the fire, so as to speak. Wow, this has been a fascinating conversation. We're going to just take a minute uh, for a break for our sponsors, but we've been talking to Dr. Lloyd Wright, expert in acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine, pretty high up in the, um, the uh, credentialing and other aspects of the field. Uh, so uh, let's just take a break here for our sponsors. You're listening to the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health, and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. 
If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code out loud and get 20% off. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. We're picking up on our conversation with Dr. Lloyd Wright from Phoenix, Arizona, and he is giving us really an overview, a 30,000-foot view of acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. I wanted to ask you, Lloyd, in Chinese medicine, are there prescription drugs or non-prescription drugs, herbal supplements? Like, What are the tools uh, available to the practitioners? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, so in terms of, of medications, uh, in, the, in the traditional way, you know, there is a incredible array of herbal medicines that are utilized. And if you look at the classical formulary textbooks, uh, there's probably about 900 classic formulas that are designed to deal with everything from uh, your sprained ankle to typhoid fever to ulcers to allergies pretty much you name it there's a there's something there and most practitioners are, are the ones that I take the deep dive into the herbal medicine will pick up formula that's close to what the patient is presenting and then probably modify it um, now when we dial into what's currently used in china they, there are a lot of products that are produced in mainland china uh, that are asserted to be herbal medicine and if you look at them they're you know the bulk of them is herbal medicine but but what may not be on the label is an area called other ingredient and this is why we're very cautious about what gets produced in china because sometimes that other ingredient might be an antihistamine there was a while back when one of those other ingredients was was actually a steroid, and people were claiming it was marvelous for their joints. Well, it was yeah, it was all the right herbs for the joints, but they also slipped in a steroid in there, and they didn't put it on the label. So we're not okay with that here in the United States, and so a lot of us are very cautious about 
picking up a, a, a patent Chinese or formally made in the mainland China. Um, so that's a that's a cautionary note uh, for folks. Uh, it's not a prohibitory note because the rest of the herbal medicine is truly amazing. Now there are products that are made in Taiwan and Japan, and and uh, I think some are coming out of Singapore now. Uh, different story. These are all manufactured under uh, uh, good manufacturing practices under the FDA rules, uh, and I, we don't uh, we don't see any problems with any of these. But uh, the classical formulas are are produced by a variety of companies, and some of those companies are located here in America. The, uh, they they put together formulas and they'll put them in capsules, and a, a lot of practitioners will use these uh, encapsulated forms uh, of, of medicine. And again, it's go ahead. And do patients get the get those through your office, or do they have to go online and buy them, or how do they get them? Yeah, typically for us, uh, we, we carry most of uh, most of the formulas we need here in the office. Uh, occasionally, if I've got something, I, I might have to special order something from one of my companies. Uh, and and in my office, I, I actually have about 300 raw herbs. So make up what I, exactly what I want, put it in a baggie, and the patient can take them home and boil it up in a very traditional manner. A lot of acupuncture clinics don't don't quite do it that way. Um, so having said that, a lot of these herb formulas are available online, especially like the classical ones, the very common ones that are used. Uh, but you really have to know what you're, you know, what you're looking for, what you're getting. Uh, uh, there are some herb companies, some American herb companies that now uh, have an arrangement where the practitioner can go on there and say, okay, my patient is Joe Jones and I'm going to, uh, allow them to buy directly from you guys, uh, you know, the, the uh, six-ingredient pill for, for, for back pain. Uh, and then he can just go online and buy directly from them. So those kind of arrangements have, are starting to develop. And herbal medicine is relatively unregulated in that, uh, apart from uh, looking for good manufacturing practice, uh, the FDA doesn't, doesn't really prohibit anything. Uh, you know, and there's no real restriction as to who can recommend an herb formula. Uh, so we advise people to, if they want, if they're interested in getting some traditional Chinese herbs, we, you know, seek out a, a trained acupuncturist and, 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 and a trained acupuncturist who really does specialize in, in herbal medicine. Like I said, some of them just do acupuncture and they're, they're happy with that. But, uh, uh, but it is, it is unregulated in, in, in that respect. So. And would a typical patient who comes in, would, would they actually get acupuncture and one of these 300 different forms of Chinese herbs or supplements, or is it usually one or the other? Yes, the way I run my practice, uh, if somebody comes in uh, uh, for acupuncture and we determine that an herb formula is appropriate and might work well for them, uh, you know, they'll, they'll pick up that in the same visit. Uh, there are some practitioners I know uh, who actually separate those out into separate separate office visits, uh, so that you might you might see that in some practices. But uh, I I have a hard time making somebody come back and schlep all the way back to the office just for an herb consult that I can do and take care of right there. 
Well, in the last few minutes, Lloyd, let's take up the issue of the common cold. And if you want to, SARS-CoV-2, but you know, we're still going to have common colds out there. So this would be a good place to start. And tell us the principles of how you approach the common cold in your office and be so interesting to trade notes with what people do at home or other doctors do. Sure. Sure. So I've been treating flus and colds, as I said, almost from the get-go, because I would personally catch everything that came out of town. And the first thing we do in Chinese medicine is, and there's a whole protocol as to how how the virus proceeds. It starts at the superficial level and can start going into deeper and deeper levels of the body. So the superficial level, it, it might somebody might feel very chilled and they might get a little stiff neck and they might have a little sniffle and maybe a little tiny sore throat. And so there's a formula we give for that. And we call that, that we call that a wind chill invasion of the body. And so you give herbs that actually warm and expel the wind chill. So I'll give you an example of an herb that's commonly used for that other than ginger, which is also warm. Cinnamon would be a very common herb too, uh, that would go into a formula that would, that would expel or get rid of that wind chill. If it's not caught in time, the virus can go to a little deeper level, and now the person might develop a wind, what we call a wind heat. Heat, all of a sudden, the throat becomes very sore. They begin to have more fever. Uh, they might have alternating chills or fevers. And, of course, then we're at a different stage. We give yet a different formula for that stage. Uh, and if it progresses further, it might uh, it might go deeper into the lungs. And now you've got to kind of give herbs that kind of, I, I think of it as kind of scouring the lungs of the excess phlegm and, 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 and dampness. Uh, sometimes the sometimes the virus will go straight through the digestion and become like a intestinal flu, and so once again it takes another turn. We give a different formula for that because again it's gone to a different level of the body, a different set pair of organs, and so we just follow it down. And at, at, at each level, there's different different herb formulas that are that are applied to each uh, each level. Uh, I find most of the time, if people can catch it within the first day or two, uh, usually it will resolve in 12 to 48 hours. Uh, and a very, I have had a number of patients say, take one or two doses and call me back and they say, hey, it's all cleared up. One or two doses. So it, 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 you know, it, it can be, be a very rapid solution. If it goes for several days and the virus settles into deeper levels, then that could be a longer process. And so, I'm yeah. So of the treatment is applied uh, very early. What do you think the mechanism of action? How does it abort the cold so quickly? Ah, that's a great question. So there's some actual great research to support this. We think what goes on is the herbs actually interfere with the viral reproductive process. And so there have been uh, a couple of in vitro studies on a couple of herbs. One is like Hua, which is also known as Japanese honeysuckle. And they studied this herb and they figured out the actual molecule that actually interferes with the viable reproductive process. They tested for influenza A and influenza B. And they found it, it basically it stopped it. And, it, and that particular particle did not... Uh, was not uh, uh, eroded when it was boiled in decoction. So it was just as active uh, and, and efficient. Uh, and then another herb, and this was one of the key herbs that uh, China used to uh, 
beat back the SARS infection, as you might recall, it was uh, occurred back in the early 2000s. Uh, and that's uh, radix itastis, uh, otherwise known as Bon Langon. Uh, same thing. It, it seems to just seems to interfere with the viral reproductive process. So if you stop the viral reproductive process early, uh, the immune system has a chance to identify it and build its, its, uh, its resistance. If it comes in late, then the body's already flooded with the viruses. And I suspect you're still going to get results. It's just that the, bo- the body's going to take longer to, to, to eradicate that. Now, and, are, these, uh, are these forms of oral pills or capsules, or are they local sprays that you're spraying? Uh, these are all, are all uh, orally ingested. So either through a capsule or through a decoction uh, is the standard way they're, they're deployed. Okay. Do, do the Does Chinese medicine use any forms of sprays or gargles in the nose and mouth? Uh, I don't think that that's very common. I, I, I don't think that that, I, I think that that's a, would be viewed as a, uh, as a useful tool from, from most, from a Chinese medicine point of view, but it's, you know, sprays and gargles are, are, are not the forefront of things that are being taught, no. Okay, that's interesting. And how do, what role does acupuncture have in terms of treating a cold or upper respiratory tract infection? So there's a number of acupuncture points which are uh, uh, known to stimulate the immune system, first of all. So the most famous is stomach 36, which is a about three inches below the lateral aspect of your, just below the, your kneecap there. Uh, and uh, there were studies they did, and this came out years ago, by stimulating that, they could increase the white blood cell count anywhere from 30 to 70% in one day. So it, at that point by itself, you know, has a lot of immune stimulus going on. There are other points that, uh, and I just, it's just this is an article just came out that uh, uh, there's research indicating that uh, some of these points will actually calm down the cytokine storm process. Uh, so you reduce again, you know, the, you know that that inflammatory uh, process with the, with other points. And, and uh, why would these be acupuncture little pins that you'd insert in the skin? Or oh yeah, yeah, correct, right. So your your average acupuncture needle. The, the, oh, I'll give you the range. Okay, so some acupuncturists use needles that are uh, as, as as thick as a twenty eight gauge. Uh, most acupuncturists are using probably a thirty four to thirty six gauge. And there's some acupuncture things, the very, very fine ones, like the 38 gauge uh, needles. So they're very, very small. They're about the size of your hair. Uh, mostly they go in very gently. And, you know, you get a little, folks will get a little pinch here and there, but usually for the most part, it's 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 not a big deal. And how uh, deep do they go in? Uh, depends on the point. So some some points would be like just just below the surface, like some of your points. Some of them might be a quarter inch. Some of them might be a half inch. Or some might be an inch. Uh, if you've got somebody who is, uh, how should we say, pretty robust, and you're doing a point around the hip, you might go in two inches. Really, two? Oh in- yeah. In and and well, in a standard treatment, let's say for a common cold, I imagine this is the head and neck. Um, how many pins would you use? I probably for my com- common cold patients, I probably use around twelve points maybe 14 wow that's absolutely and how long would they stay in about 30 minutes okay 
Yeah, 30, 20 to twenty to forty minutes is a typical range, and you know, I usually set my timer for thirty minutes, and that seems to be quite quite adequate to get to, to get a, a good effect. And and do patients have to be in the right frame of mind, or be particularly suggestible, or does it seem to work universally across you know all different patient types? I, well, I think it works across all different patient types, but of course, if you have somebody who is you know in a high anxiety state. Uh, that's going to make it hard for them to relax and to allow the body to do to, to, to its healing process. To some degree, we also think of the sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous state. So as you probably know, the sympathetic system is engaged when we're geared up and ready to go. Uh, and that shuts down the digestion and shuts down the internal organs to a degree because all all the blood's rushing out to the muscles, and that the immune system and all the healing processes are involved in those deep internal organs. And that doesn't click in if you can't relax. And I think part of what the acupuncture does, it causes a deep level relaxation response. And part of that we know is the production of endorphins. So people will, will, will tend to get relaxed, and they'll go into that parasympathetic state, and I think then the body begins to actually heal itself. Uh, now, if they just can't get there because they just had a trauma or they were just in a car wreck or something, yeah, that, 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 that could be a problem. But for the most part, most people go into a pretty deep, relaxed state, you know, within a couple of minutes after having the needles inserted. Wow, that's amazing. Do the needles have any medicine on them themselves? No. Okay. All right. Well, we've been having a fascinating conversation with Lloyd Wright expert in acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine practicing in Arizona. And I can tell you, I've learned so much. My question is, I feel like I'm a, I'm just a kindergartner uh, exploring this vast field that's been, you know, in existence for thousands of years and, and probably is so and has persisted over time because it's successful. Remember the US FDA says that any forms of treatment, you, you know, the ground rules for the FDA is that they have to improve how people feel, function, and survive. That's really the standard. And mm -hmm. I, I have to imagine that, you know, through your clinical experience and what you know in the journals, uh, that you do favorably impact these domains. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I totally. You know, the, one of the beauties when you, you think about that, and one of the things I would like to impart, folks, when, when you look at what they do in China, and to some degree, Korea, and also Taiwan, the, system, the medical systems there are pretty well integrated with acupuncture, herbs, and Western medicine. There's there's no concept that you got to do one or the other. It, they're, they're, they both work side by side, as and as it should be. Uh, they both do different things and have different uh, strengths and different weaknesses. And uh, one of my missions in life seems to be to to. to bring that to America. And I look forward to the day where every hospital has an acupuncture division uh, and a Chinese herbal division and it working right alongside with uh, the, the regular allopathic physicians. Well, let me ask you in closing, like how can people follow you? And then more broadly, how can they potentially access someone with your skills in their city, let's say in the United States? Probably the best way to uh, well, the best way to follow me, I, I, I do have a website, uh, and I, I do put out a newsletter, and I do, I do have a little, little blog that, uh, that that I update periodically, so they can just go to stellarphysicalmed.com. Uh, and in terms of uh, nationally, uh, you can 
you can access the uh, American Society of Acupuncturists, uh, which is our national association, and they uh, they do carry a list of members throughout the uh, throughout the whole country. Uh, so that's a, 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 a that's probably your best national resource right there. The National Commission on the Certification of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine is the national testing body, and uh, uh, pretty much everybody, uh, you know, passes their exam. And most practitioners, almost probably eighty percent of practitioners in the country, are listed on on their uh, website as well. Uh, so, so those are two probably two really good sources you can would, folks can go to. Say, would you say that most uh, cities in the United States? have um qualified practitioners um i would say that some there are some areas which are definitely lacking uh you know where the practitioners are few and far between and and i think you look at the states that are a little more sparsely uh, populated uh but when you look at some of the more populated states like florida california new york uh, pretty much the east coast uh, even Texas has quite a few practitioners. Uh, I, yeah, I'd say you it, you know be pretty easy. Colorado, Utah, uh, you know, there's uh, there's quite a few practitioners around most of the states, uh, but some of the states are definitely lacking, unfortunately. That's terrific. And just lastly, in closing, uh, again, how do our listeners follow you? Okay, so my uh, website would be stellarphysicalmed.com. Exactly how it sounds, and they can go check in there. I will periodically. Uh, I, I've, I've uploaded several videos, so further explaining some of the organ functions and uh, dietary recommendations and whatnot. And uh, we'll be we post all our newsletters up there as well. Well, that's terrific. We're going to bring this to a close. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the McCullough Report. Okay, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure and an honor. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report.